when the when the family pulled into the parking lot, uh, they were hoping there'd be a lot more empty seats than there were empty parking spaces, uh, because the parking lot was packed. And of course, they knew that the reception hall they were going to probably would be just as full on the inside. But they were hoping that the hosts had, had made sure to cater enough for everybody. So as they walked in the door, they smiled at a few familiar faces. The, the greeters offered to take their coats and <clears throat> help them find the places they need to be. And it was just, from the very beginning, a first-class operation. They knew that they were at a place where they were being treated extremely well. Their coats were taken and set aside so they didn't have to worry about dragging them on the floor. Somebody showed them where the facilities were, where their seats were. The hospitality was absolutely first class. And the orchestra that was playing softly could just barely sort of cover up the din of plates and pans that you could hear on the other side of that closed kitchen door. They found it odd that you couldn't quite really smell anything cooking. But maybe that's just because, like me, maybe they were just coming down with a little bit of a cold. It was winter after all. And so as the ushers led them to their seats, they looked around, and the place was packed. This was a beautiful, just decked out, looked awesome reception hall. And it was beautiful and packed, and, and, and they were looking forward to a great time that night. They could just tell it was going to be wonderful. They hadn't eaten for a few hours because, you know, Dad said, hey, we, we got a high-priced meal coming here in a little bit. Let's just eat a light lunch. You know, this is what dads do. Eat a light lunch today. We're going to get our belly full tonight at this reception dinner. And so as they began to sit there and as they began to look around, they were so impressed with everything that they saw and what the way they felt and the atmosphere of the building and so they sat and began to talk with one another in fellowship and eat the little mints that were placed on the beautiful centerpieces. But it didn't take long before the mints didn't really do the trick anymore. A little, little hunger pang started to set in. And they started to look around and see other people going, it's starting to get a little... We've been sitting here a minute. It's getting a little hungry now, isn't it? Now I want to take a pause in our story and insert something here that I think is very important. It is absolutely essential to make people feel welcome when they come into the building. Amen? We've done research, and Pastor has told us, and, and it's not we, but the research has been done, and we know that within the first two or three minutes of entering the building, they've probably made up their mind if they're coming back again or not. It is absolutely important for us to do everything that we can. These people had done everything right up to this point. They felt welcome. This reception hall was beautiful. It was well-decorated. The atmosphere was great. There was a wonderful spirit of hospitality. Everything was right. And I'm going to hear to tell you today, I think the same thing we need here, and I think we have that here. I think the welcome home is not just words on the paper, right? It's an attitude, and I think this church does a great deal, a great thing with it. <clears throat> and we have done a lot, and there have been uh, a lot of efforts go forth to try to improve things. Have you ever, and Pastor challenged us with this uh, several times, but, but recently, walk through the door back there sometime as though you've never been in this building before. Now, for me, it's easy, right? I just walk through and come, and I know where I'm going and what I'm doing. But if you've never been here before, 
You don't know anybody, and there's nobody at that door. When you walk in, what's the first thing you see? A wall. You see a wall, and you see a staircase over here, and a staircase over here, and two walkways. Immediately, the first thing you think is, what, what am I supposed to do now? Where do I go? It's off-putting. Now, that's just what we're, the hand we're dealt, right? We can't do anything about that, but what we can do is make sure that the ushers and the greeters are there so that when people come in the building, we greet them with a, hey, man, we're so glad you're here. Is there anything we can do for you? Let me show you over here to our desk. We're going to introduce you to Cindy or to Bobette, and they're going to take care of you. They're going to help you find a seat, whatever you need. It's a whole different experience. It's a totally different experience. <clears throat> and it goes beyond just the atmosphere that we create in the building, but it's infrastructure things. We've got to have a safe place for them to come. We can't have church and have guests come in and not have a functioning restroom. That's not something we want. That certainly doesn't make a good first impression. And so it goes beyond just those things of the way things look, but it also goes into organizational structure. We have a, a, uh, <clears throat> an operating system that we use here at the church that's called Planning Center. It was very well titled because that's exactly what it is, it is a center for planning what happens at the church. And it has everything from um, Sister Piles and her team as they, they make sure that we're all here and, and who's not here every week. It handles things like uh, giving. It's our giving platform. Now, I know at the end of the year, there's a few of us that itemize our taxes. And if we decided one, uh, one year we're just we're not going to do that anymore, come January, there'd be a whole lot of unhappy people that didn't know how much they gave to the church that year. Because we just weren't keeping track of that. So we have to have those things in place. And this place had all of that stuff down perfectly. As we should. As we should. So we go back into our story and we see that now for after a little while they could start to hear a little bit of a commotion coming from the kitchen. And a few of the apron servers rushed out of the doors toward the parking lot. And they came back in shaking their heads. They looked like they had been looking for someone or something, and they just hadn't been able to find it. Two of the chefs came out of the kitchen, worried, looked like they were having a really bad day. They came out of the kitchen into the reception area looking around, trying to be discreet, trying to be sneaky, but it was pretty obvious what they were doing. They were counting. Okay, one, two, we got 10 on that table, 10 on that. They were trying to see how many people they had in the building. And so the family began to wonder, what is going on here? Did they not plan for this? Did they not understand that they, I mean, they got all the seats. Did they not have enough food for all the seats? The family had never been in a setting with so much pomp and circumstance, but apparently so little preparation for the meal. The event center had hosted events before, but never on this scale. And the worry on the faces and the body language of those that were there was very clear. They were concerned. So one of the servers hurried up to the man with a microphone, the MC, and whispered, whispered something to him. And pretty soon all of the kitchen staff reassembled in the back of the kitchen. And the MC stepped up to the mic, and obviously I can't do it this morning, but in a very proper, distinguished way, 
He said, uh, dinner is served. Finally. And so the chef emerged from the kitchen carrying one single stainless serving platter. There's a lot of people in this room. This hall's not even packed this morning, but one single stainless serving platter is not going to do it for all of us here today. Oh, come on now. I've seen some of us eat. I know what I'm talking about. The chef walked over and he placed it carefully on the table, all proper-like. And he pulled the dome off of that platter. And you immediately heard an audible gasp spread throughout the room as everybody realized that on that plate was just one lonely little Lunchable. And the master of ceremonies then swallowed hard and said, Enjoy. Enjoy. You see, that place had done everything right, except for the one thing that was the most important thing. It was the one reason why everybody was actually really there, and that was to be fed. To be fed. Let's look now at John chapter 6. And as we look at this story, I'm just going to paraphrase for sake of time. We see Jesus and the disciples walking out to the mountainside, and the Bible says that people flocked to them. Multitudes came to them to hear what Jesus had to say and to see what he would do. 5,000 men, it says, not counting all of those women and children, and we know that at least one lad was there. And the crowd swelled, and estimates have that crowd at over maybe 15,000 people, and so they listened as Jesus taught them. But after a while, not only were they getting hungry for the word of God, but they were also starting to get a little hungry. It happens about 12 o'clock, 12.15 here every Sunday morning. And if you don't believe that, come up here and sit on the platform one Sunday and you can see it happen. They started to get hungry. That's what happens when you've been sitting there all day and you haven't eaten. That's just the way it is. And so they start to see things happen. And I kind of like to I'm going to take a little bit of poetic license here. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly every single thing that happened there. So I'm going to just kind of maybe insert myself, if you'll let me, into the, 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 the body of one of those disciples there that day. And, and, you know, this happens here, too. We have things that happen during the course of a service that have to be dealt with, right? There are a few people here that we know that, you know, you may see me doing this during service. I'm not texting to see what my order is at Joe's Pizza after lunch, I promise. I may be saying, hey... It's 150 degrees in here. Can we kick the air on, please? People are dying. Those kind of things happen. It happens. And it's happening there. And so I can kind of see maybe the disciples looking around at each other and saying, you know what, did you, did you see this? Over? These guys are like, they're starting to get pretty hungry. What are we going to do here? We don't have any food for these people. We didn't invite them out here. They came on their own. And it wasn't long before Jesus recognizes this too, right? And again, I kind, of, I kind of read the Bible sometimes with a little sarcasm and irony that maybe most people don't. But I kind of see Jesus messing with Philip a little bit here. And Jesus says to Philip, hey, Philip. Now, I don't know why he picked on Philip. Maybe Philip was the accountant. I don't know. Hey, Philip, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? And you almost can kind of see Philip go, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean where we're going to get food? What's it going to take to feed all these people? And so Philip starts crunching numbers in his head, right? He starts thinking, oh, my goodness, we got, what do we got, 10,000 people here? Uh, let's see, if even of them do this and it costs this much. And, 
He says, you know what, Lord, even if we could find somewhere that had enough bread for us to buy, it would be 200 penny worth of bread. And what he's saying there is the equivalent of eight months worth of wages at that time. It would cost us to buy enough bread just to give everybody one little morsel. Now, we're not filling any bellies today. We're just giving them a little bit. One little morsel. Eight months of wages. And Jesus, I believe, as serious as he could be on the outside, but cracking a smile on the inside. Again, this is just my reading of it. I said, Philip, what are we going to do? And I love the next verse. I think it's verse 6 of John 6 where Jesus said, this he said to prove Philip. He was testing him because he already knew what he would do. Don't ever think for a second that Jesus comes anywhere without a plan. He's always got it all in control. No matter what it looks like to the naked human eye, Jesus has got it in control. And he knows exactly what he's going to do. And so here comes Andrew. Andrew comes into the picture. And again, I can almost see Andrew as he begins to take this big step of faith and says, Hey, we've got a little lad over here that's got some food. And he begins to speak out boldly. And it's almost like as he's talking, he recognizes how dumb it is what he's saying. I know we got 10,000 people here, but we got a boy over here with five loaves. Well, I mean, he's got... He's got five loaves and two fishes, but I guess, you know, what is that for all of these people? And so Jesus now begins to do what Jesus does. He begins to provide. I, want, I think it's important for us to note that it wasn't the mission of Jesus Christ that day on that hill to feed those people lunch. His compassion drove him to do that. His mission, as he tells us in John 10, is to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the reason that our mission statement is what it is, to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. But along with that mission, there is compassion. And that compassion that day drove Jesus to feed those people. And so he began to take that bread and those fishes that that little boy had. And again, I kind of insert myself into a, a different persona as I'm sitting maybe in the back of the crowd on person number 12,577, way back there in the back. I've not heard any of the conversation that's going on at all. All I know is this man that I came out here to see Jesus just made us all sit down, took this little boy's lunch, and now he's getting ready to eat it. He's going to make us starving sit down and watch him eat lunch. Somebody was thinking it. You know they were. So Jesus begins to break the bread, and he begins to take it, and he gives a little bit to Andrew or Philip or Peter or James or John or whoever, and I can see him just coming over. And the, first, the first trip the disciples make, right, it's, it's, it's one of these, you know, now, sir, we're glad you're here today. Um, we don't have much. We've got a little bit of food for y'all. Just take a little bit. Just, just maybe take a little nibble or two and just pass it down. We, it's not going to go real far. We know that. Uh, it's a good thing you're sitting up front. Those people in the back probably not going to get anything today. So just, just take a little bit and pass it on. And then he looks over and he sees there's 11 other guys all doing the same thing. He starts to think, I wonder what's going on here. So he goes back up to the master and Jesus has another 
big bunch of food for him. So, so maybe the second time, Sister Irvie goes to him, he says, you know, it looks like we may have a little more than we thought. Like, the meal might go a little farther today. You know, go ahead and take a bite. No, don't go crazy, but take a bite or two. You know, pass it on to the next person. You can see after the disciples do this six, eight, ten, twelve times, right? It gets down to that that fifteenth time, and I'm I'm walking back here. I'm saying, hey, listen, that that walls Dempsey Row back there. You guys just eat everything you want, whatever. We got plenty. Don't worry about it. Anything you want, just fill yourself up. It's all good. Because the master is in charge of feeding today. How many know we got to keep the master in charge of feeding today? Amen. So as we see what Jesus did in that story, we understand very clearly that there's only one set of hands that can take a Lunchable and feed a multitude. It can take a Lunchable and feed you and your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What Jesus did that day was not possible. It was impossible. It was impossible in the natural world. And it was impossible because of one of the laws of physics that I just cannot wait to tell you about. And you all know this, but it's called the law of the conservation of energy. Anybody ever heard that? Which basically states that you cannot create or destroy energy in any form. In this natural world, all you can do is change its state. You can transform it from one thing to another. I cannot take this laptop and create 10 more laptops just like it out of this material because I can't create anything like that. Something about those other 10 would be altered. They would not be the same. But Jesus that day standing in that crowd wasn't subject to the laws of nature. That's what makes him supernatural. He supersedes the laws of nature. And he was every bit that day God the creator. As he created meal after meal after meal after meal. And he still creates today in 2024. I want to tell you he's still in the creation business. He is still in the creation business. And he doesn't need a lot. He just needs what we've got. Five loaves and two fishes will feed the masses this morning. I want to tell you that it doesn't matter if you're a first-time guest here today or if you've been coming here for 40 years like some of us. It doesn't matter. Just give what you have to the Lord. And watch him do what only he can do. There is no minimum requirement with Jesus. Did you catch that? There's no minimum requirement with Jesus. You give whatever you have, whatever you have, and he'll take it and do the miraculous with it. That applies to everything. It applies to your time. It applies to your talent. It applies to your finances. I mean, sometimes the math just doesn't work just doesn't work. I was, you know, we said that, I said that a few weeks ago when I was teaching, and then I, after that, I think I was having a conversation maybe with Sister Heather, I'm not sure, I can't quite remember, but 
we were talking about the fact that God does miraculous things in your finances when you honor him with your tithes and your offering. And the math doesn't work. And even after the fact, you go back and look at it, and you still can't figure out what happened. God just does things that you, you can't explain. Because if you give him what you have, he will take it and make it what it needs to be to serve the need of the people. There are stories all over this building today that will be here in these services that contest the truth of that. God can take an alcoholic or an addict and make them a pillar of the church or a preacher. He can take anything that you have and make whatever it is that he needs today. Because the truth is, the difference in these two stories is that Jesus is in the center of one of them. It's Jesus that makes the difference today in the story. The presence of the bread of life makes all the difference. It doesn't matter how great the reception hall is, and I'm, not, I'm saying I think we should make it as great as we can. I don't think this has to be an either-or situation, right? I think we should do everything that we can to make people feel as welcome as we can and as just make the best possible first impression that we can. But I'm going to tell us that when it comes time to lift the dome off the platter, there better be more than a Lunchable there. And there is. The bread of life is in the house today. And that's what we want to do as pastor has challenged us over and over again. Everything that we do has to be about leading people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because these things help us feel welcome and they bring people into a place where they can be accepting and understanding of what's happening. But really, it's only Jesus that saves a soul. Didn't he tell Moses and if I be, or tell Nicodemus, if I be lifted up in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up? That's John 3.14. John 3.15 says, and the reason is that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Didn't later on in John, he say these words, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. No matter how good we do everything, and again, we absolutely 100% should. But at some point, there's going to be something that only the master can do. Jesus has to remain the main attraction, and not just in this house, but in this house. Because this house is where it really starts. Are we not the temple of God? This is the house where it really starts. People are coming, and they're coming because they're hungry. They're coming because they want to be fed. And even though it may not, they may not yet know it, what that means is nothing less than having an encounter with Jesus. Because he is the bread of life that will feed. Isn't that what he told the woman at the well? If you drink the water that I give you, you're going to never thirst again. It comes only from him. He's the only source of eternal salvation. So I challenge us today that no matter how little we think we have to offer, no matter what small amount of skill or small amount of talent or what small amount of time or whatever it is that we think that we just, we're just not good enough, we don't have enough, I can't do I can't preach like pastor can preach. 
Well, that's okay. Not a lot of people can. I can't play the keyboards and sing like Brother Dustin can. Guess what? There's a whole lot of people in that boat. I can't. Don't focus on the I can't. Let's turn our attention to the what I can. I can. I can help here. I can do this. I can give my time to serve in this way. Because when we give him what we can, he will take it and make it what he needs it to be. Amen? Amen. Let's just this morning let Jesus do what he wants to do. And I'll just close with this thought as we begin to pray and go into a time of prayer for our, for our 1030 service. No matter how little you think you have to offer this morning, think about this. As that lad was there, he didn't, he didn't come prepared to feed 15,000 people. I mean, he barely had enough to feed himself. As you come this morning, no matter what little it is that you think you have to offer, literally, the blessing, the sustenance of thousands could just be waiting on you to offer it. And that is a sobering and challenging thought today. You could be the key to the revival of your family. If you offer what little you have, that might be the thing that opens the door to the miracle that not only you need to see, but that others need to see. Give whatever we have today and let the master chef take that little lunchable and feed the multitude.